Welcome to the original Pirate Material podcast, based on the incredible true life story of Captain Tons. My name's Darren, and in each episode, James and I will be chatting to Tons about his extraordinary exploits and sharing his unique insights about life at sea. We had just ventured into one of the many stories that our man has about why it is he embarked on a journey from Hull to Jeddah via a Humber barge. Well, you can imagine our state of mind having to turn around the Epony Lock and go all the way down the Seine back to Le Havre. And we were very depressed. So I thought, well, the best thing to do is to test the ship. So uh, one thing is uh, taking a Humber barge in the North Sea, which I'm used to, but it's another thing taking it into the Atlantic. So I decided to test the ship in the Atlantic Ocean uh, by sailing to the Channel Islands. I pulled in at Alderney because we had pirate connections there and then went to Guernsey. Guernsey was an incredible experience of crazy, ridiculous bureaucracy. From Guernsey, I decided to go to Brest, but I managed to get to Brest in good time. So I continued on down the, the French coast a little further. Then the weather broke up and we had to stop for a couple of days. Then when the weather was right and I felt right, and we all felt right, I decided to sail across the um, Bay of Biscay. And most people will tell you the Bay of Biscay is, it's got a life of its own. It can go from flat calm to a, a forced storm in a question of hours. And it can go from a forced storm to flat calm in another few hours. It's an incredibly strange, unpredictable sea. Okay, Bay of Biscay, you're in a Humber barge. For people that may not know about sailing and this kind of navigation, how often would a Humber barge be seen on the Bay of Biscay? What type of vessels are normally travelling on the Bay of Biscay? Well, a humble barge has never been on, on the Bay of Biscay. It's, uh, it's made for a river. And the only people on the uh, Bay of Biscay are, are large ships, uh, small French coasters and Spanish or French fishermen with particularly good ships and boats to handle the weather. So for a humble barge to be on the Bay of Biscay is really its overall limits. When you say very good boats, larger boats, what type of scale compared to a Humber barge are we talking? Well, if you can imagine the classical fishing boats from Grimsby, for example, which is easy to imagine, that, that's about uh, one and a half to two times uh, bigger than us. All the other ships are 10, 20, 30 times bigger than us. So, you know, we're, we're, we're really, uh, we shouldn't be there. there you go. <laughs> yeah, that is literally <laughs> out of water, like definition. <laughs> so, so given that by your own admission, you shouldn't be there, <laughs> um, what made you think it was a good idea to even consider, let alone actually do? Well, it's a question of there's no choice. Uh, you either go back and cancel the job and fail or, or you push forward and there's, there's only uh, one thing to do. You've got to get across this bay. There's no other route. And with your team, there was, cause there was initially three of you, weren't there? Yeah, there was myself, uh, my engineer, and uh, our boatman, uh, both from Hull. 
and we'd almost made it. Suddenly, the, this full storm came out of nowhere. The, the, the seas and the bay just lifted up. And uh, we had to seek shelter. And the nearest place we could get into was a tiny little port called La Tepia in the north of Spain. Very difficult port to get into. Um, with a full storm blowing around you, it made it even harder, what with rocks on the left and the right and a, a particular approach angle. Finally, we got in there. And even inside this little port, this little harbour, there were swells from the bay, so it wasn't comfortable at all. Because had you been there before? Because again, I'm guessing you didn't even know the best route in or you've got to figure that out sometimes if you haven't been to a port and do that in a storm. Uh, no, I'd never been there before, but uh, I do have a particular skill, and, and that is getting into impossible places. And later on in the story, there, there are other impossible places I got into, but I got into La Tepia, and we were stuck there for about a week to 10 days. Uh, it was impossible to leave. And then suddenly, after 10 days, it calmed down a little. So we managed to, to eke our way few hours a day along the north Spanish coast in an attempt to get to La Coruña. Well, we finally got to La Coruña and the, uh, the storm was northerly with massive nor northerly waves. And as we turned south, I edged further away from the coast towards these mountainous waves, right, to, to test out uh, what I've come to term as barge surfing and I managed to to catch the right waves and of course for the first 25 minutes or 30 minutes it's incredibly frightening because you're you're looking behind you a 30 35 foot wave that's just breaking on its top and it's above you and it's as if it's going to fall down on you but it never does at uh, the same time, like surfing, you have to change course five or six degrees left and right. If you go straight, you're going to lose it, the control, uh, like a surfer does, you know. Also, at the same time, you have to have your hand on the speed because if you go too fast, you go to the bottom of the wave. If you go too slowly, the wave catches you up. So it was quite an incredibly difficult thing to learn. But because of the fear of the wave behind you, you learn that very quickly. <laughs> and um, after about half an hour, you kind of calm down and you've got hold of the situation. I moved out even further away from the coast where there were bigger waves and I managed to um, catch the right one. And I knew at that point we weren't going to stop. And uh, we, we ended up barge surfing, if you like, all the way down the Portuguese coast and pulled into Lagos and Portimao. Uh, exhausted, but extremely happy because we'd saved one and a half days with the speed we were doing. Um, okay, a couple of questions immediately spring to mind. You just said that barge surfing is a, is a difficult thing to learn, but you didn't have any time to learn it. You invented it on the spot. So what was the thought process that made you think the only option is for me to try a new way of navigating a boat that has never been done before? I, I drew upon my pirate teachings and uh, sailing ships. If you, if you look at a sailing, the classical sailing ship, you'll notice that the bow is rather similar to a barge. 
It's not pointed like most ships are. It's rounded. And they used to use waves to gather speed to escape or to attack. So I knew about this in my mind from my teaching, but I'd never done it. So I had to teach myself and it, it took 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and ha- how did the crew feel about what it is that you were doing? Did you tell them that you were going to do it or did you just do it? And then if you did just do it without telling them, what was their reaction as you were doing this? Well, we, we have to go back a little bit to La Tepia where he became so afraid because of the full storm in the Bay of Biscay that he, he decided to leave us. So our crew now was just myself and my engineer, just the two of us. And was slightly panicky at first, but I made him stay in control of the speed. And, and with his sense of control of his engine on the speed, it took away a sense of fear that he had. And together we... Well, I have to say, we quite enjoyed the experience. It was a learning experience, very dangerous experience. But once we'd got control of it, it was, it was pretty good. Going back to the team aspect of that, how much did it affect you losing that third man? And then it's just two of you going across this kind of wild storm. Well, there was no way we could get another team member out there or a Spanish one. So our, our idea was that let's try and get to Gibraltar. There we can either get a team member flown out or, or arrange for one local from Gibraltar. In any case, we had to get to Gibraltar, just the two of us. So there was no choice. As for the, the danger part, well, after about an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, it, it became so natural what we were doing that uh, I know it, it, if you saw a scene of it, it would be terrifying. But there were moments when we could actually light up a cigarette with a lighter in, in the middle of this storm. And there was no problem. You know, the lighter wouldn't blow out. It was, it was, we were right in the middle of the, a vacuum in a storm. Talk to me about the cigarette. Why would you light up a cigarette when you are trying to hold on for dear life in an incredibly inhospitable storm? in a vessel that is not designed to be traveling in that weather. Why at that particular time would you also think, yeah, let me just take one hand off a wheel, let me light up a cigarette. Why would you do that? Well, the, 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 you don't have much time to learn at sea. You either learn immediately or die. And so after 25 minutes to an hour, you, you've learned all the intricacies of it. You know that you need five degrees to the left, five degrees to the right, not 10. You, you know that uh, how to speed up and slow down the right moment. You've also always got one eye behind over your shoulder at the wave behind you. And you get to a point where you've got total control of the situation. You become extremely happy and you light up a cigarette. Fair enough. It's like yeah. it's, flow, it's flow state. It's kind of that connection you have with the sea. It's that flow. It's when you talk about understanding it. Well, you haven't got any longer. You, you, you've just got minutes to learn this because you're dealing with 35-foot waves and winds and currents and, and there's so much going on that you don't have time to think about lighting up a cigarette. You don't have time to think of anything except what you're doing. 
But when you get to that point where you finally understand you've got full control of the situation, I suppose you become so calm and, and so into this sense of contact with the sea and, and the wave behind you becomes part of you, part of the ship, and you're all one together, that you totally relax and light a cigarette. And what did you learn about the sea from that encounter? What did it teach you? What that episode taught me was the barge. That sure, I was, I was in a place I shouldn't be, in a vessel that shouldn't be there, but you could control it in such a way that it was perfectly aligned to, to the problems you have. And it, it was, um, our barge would, would do around nine knots, which is about, 14, 15 miles an hour. And we were doing at least 22 miles an hour. So we were, the barge, barges had never been so fast as, as the way we were going. And as I say, we, we saved one and a half days along that Portuguese coast. And unfortunately, when we entered the port of Gibraltar, I went to report to the port captain and I entered his office and I said, good morning, Cap. And his reply was, you are arrested. And I said, what? You and your vessel are arrested. About an hour later, a team of uh, port officials came down to the boat with big chains and welding gear and they chained us to the dock. We were arrested. Did they explain why you were being arrested? The main reason was hamper barges were not allowed in the Atlantic. So I said to the captain, I said, uh, listen, we're now in the Mediterranean. So, you know, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> How did he take that? How did he take <laughs> well, he said, you, you know, you came here via the Atlantic. And I said, can you prove that? And he said, yes. And uh, you're arrested. And that was it. There was no, no further conversations possible. And we were chained. Uh, our vessel was chained to the North Mole in the Gibraltar Harbour. Is it almost like the boats arrested or were you also physically put in jail, put in holding? Any, what was the limits on you? I know no, the law, the law states the that, that you must stay with the vessel. The vessel is arrested. So therefore, you're also arrested. Yeah. Uh, and and it was, it's pretty heavy because, I mean, uh, if we were to leave the port, we had to ask permission. Where are you going? We're going to the supermarket. And when you came back, they looked in the bags and it was really heavy stuff. But we were allowed to, to be free on board the, uh, uh, the vessel. But the vessel was chained and welded literally to the dock. So what did you think about next? Did you think, well, that's it? That's the end of the adventure? There's never an end to an adventure because if you if you fail, you're not you know you're not going to get another job. You're not going to be you know a failed pirate is a failed pirate, and that's the end of your career. It's pretty heavy stuff to fail. So we had several tons of fuel oil waiting for us with in Gibraltar, and when the tanker came, he was uh, he was stopped at the dock gates and he wasn't allowed to refuel us. And uh, without fuel, we, we could go nowhere. How is fuel your first problem when you're already chained as a vessel? How is that the first problem and not escaping? 
Well, you, you can't escape without fuel. So let's get fueled up first somehow and then uh, put, put a plan into action of escaping. At what point, and let's take it right back to the beginning of this part. So you've gone into Gibraltar, you walked up to the captain and he said, you're arrested. How long after that did it take you to think, I'm going to start my escape plan now? A few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's automatic, you know. know, uh, uh, As soon as you're arrested, you've got to escape. Um, We we didn't plan on them stopping our fuel uh, arriving, and uh, that gave us a big problem. Luckily, today, the North Mole of the harbour of Gibraltar is where the cruise ships stop. But in those days, it was the refueling depot for Her Majesty's Royal Navy. And they had these huge, you know, huge, great big fuel tanks and white and gray on four or five legs, you know, huge. And they were all chained up with big valves and everything. But on the bottom of these tanks, on every tank, there's a little tap, which is used for taking the water out of the fuel. There's always water that gathers inside the tank. So every now and then they would open this tap to allow the water to come out so that the tank only contained fuel oil. So we we devised a plan whereby we would swim across at night. We would swim across the dock. It's about 60, 70 feet across, up the ladder. And we cut a hole in the fence and crawled through to see the, the, if it had a tap, and it did have a tap. Well, there were about three or four of these tanks, and one of them had a tap. We opened the tap and water came out, and after about five minutes, the water stopped coming out and fuel oil was coming out, so we closed the tap. The following night, we, we stole of an extremely long hose pipe from the port authorities. We swam across again and fitted the hose pipe, simple hose pipe, onto this tap. And then uh, he swam back to the boat, gave me a signal. I opened the tap. Now, all the time this is happening, there are Royal Navy guards with guns, you know, walking up and down. And, you know, they've guards doing their job. Sometimes they were about 20 feet away from me, but because they, they never looked under the tank to see me and we were all filthy black from oil anyway. When we had filled up all our tanks, all our reserve and everything we could fill up, that's several tons, several tons of fuel oil. We closed the tap, climbed back down into the into the dock, swam back across. Then we took the hose pipe back to where we'd stolen it from. And that was probably the most dangerous part because we had to clean it. It was full of oil. So we spent about half an hour cleaning the hose pipe, getting it back. And then we had fuel. So now we can plan our escape. You've been listening to original pirate material produced by Dare Pictures and Picaroons. If you like this podcast, please do go leave us a review, share with a friend, or get in contact with us at piratematerial.co.uk. Here's a taste of what's to come. 
And then I thought the best thing to do now is to shut down all the radio communications. So I put a cassette in, the um, cassette player next to the mic, and I played Rod Stewart's Maggie Maggie May, blocking all the Channel 16 radio communications.